everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Cinematic Schematic. I am the editor-in-chief, film critic at the Cinematropolis, and host of the Cinematic Schematic, Caleb Masters. And today, we are debuting a new segment called Cinema Showdown, where a host drills a panel made up of experts with opposing opinions about newly released films. The first edition of Cinema Showdown is hosted and produced by Red Six to Golden Corral's Caleb Haldane, and today's topic is Star Wars The Last Jedi. In the latest episode of the Red Six to Golden Corral podcast, Caleb Haldane called The Last Jedi a disappointment that felt like it was trolling the audience the whole time. Caleb will ask his biggest and hardest-hitting questions to a special panel of experts who loved the film to varying degrees. We have already a set example of what and who Luke Skywalker is. And I want to know why this Luke Skywalker makes sense to you. So without further ado, let's go ahead and pass the show back off to Caleb Haldane. Here we are. We're uh, ready to talk some Star Wars, but I want the listeners to learn a little bit about you. So I'm going to throw out some things that I think are important to storytelling, and I want you to rank them. First of all, we have Alexander Bohannon. Hi. Hi. We have plot, character arcs, subversion. And what I mean by subversion is every story has been told uh, theoretically, right? Mm -hmm. So the ability to surprise you uh, is, is still a very... Uh, important thing, I think, in storytelling and not to just rewrite something that's already been done. Some version has been used positively, negatively, but in this case, I just kind of mean the ability to surprise you. So there's also world building and themes. So if you would rank these for me, what what do you think you would you Sure, would yeah. And uh, for the record, dear listener, I'm doing number one to me is most important, not number five is most important, just so Good we're point. all really clear about that. Uh, so um, for my number one, I think I'd put character arcs as number one. I think it's really important that um, if if I can get invested in a character, um, I want to see where that character goes. And even if the plot is not quite as strong, a strong character arc can kind of make up for that plot, in my opinion. Uh, themes kind of also, my number two, also kind of go into that character arc. Um, resounding themes, even if I, they're themes I don't necessarily agree with, um, seeing like a cohesive vision by the filmmaker, the storytellers, uh, the screenwriter, the editor, seeing all that come together is really important to me as well. Um, um, plot kind of goes within that, my number three, uh, because, you know, of course you can have really good character arcs and themes, but if you don't have a plot that's propping them up uh, in a well, in a way that people are doing interesting uh, actions and uh, of course their uh, actions also have like a cohesive, even if like they're illogical as characters, even if in the world, they're in turn, the world's internal logic makes sense, which we've talked a little bit about that off air. Um, number, my number four is subversion of expectations. I think it's very important, but we had to rank all of these. So I had to pick one to be number four. Um, because subversion of expectations, I mean, you can do some interesting things um, to make sure that the the audience isn't bored, to make sure that everyone's still invested and they're not feeling like they're just being spent 
spoon fed uh, story uh, that has really similar plot beats like we did with Force Awakens. I'm not naming any names. Uh, and number five, uh, number five is going to be world building for me. I think world building for me is it's so important, but I've noticed it gone so awry in popular cinema. A lot of times I cannot think of a better example of world building gone awry than Fantastic Beasts. I'm a diehard Harry Potter fan. Like my that's my primary fandom that I bread and butter uh, grew up on. So seeing world building going so awry, I've never seen it gone so awry as it did in Fantastic Beasts. Uh, please tweet at me if you want to talk more about Fantastic Beasts because we're not doing that on this podcast. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'd rank all these things. And then uh, who am I? My name is Alexander Bohannon. I am a writer, a filmmaker, a podcaster. I do a lot of current, currently I'm podcasting on a little podcast called The Cinematic Schematic where I talk about film scores and uh, how they relate to movies and how, why they're important and how they can support basically all these five things we just I just talked about uh so that's a little bit about me um I'll just yeah that, that's it <laughs> all right. uh, thanks and I do want to stress that again that these are obviously all important sure so yeah yeah them, uh, I'm gonna, just gonna, gonna leave those... out that plot thing yeah, I think right? that's important yeah right. yeah it's an mind. unfair thing but it's it's also good to see where what things uh resonate with you so sure you bet yeah next we have Caleb Masters and I uh, want you to do the same we're going to rank plot character arcs, uh, the ability to surprise you, slash subversion of expectations, world building, and themes. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really glad that you made the distinction here, and you guys are both dead on. All of these things have to be included, really, I think, to get a really just well-rounded, well-told story. I think they're all incredibly impo- important elements. Uh, and, I, and I don't want to repeat what Alexandra said, but I rank actually pretty much the same. Uh, yeah, character number one, I think first and foremost, you have to look at the human element, like the thing that people are going to connect with, the thing that they're going to invest in. Uh, and I think we saw this a lot. Without getting too Star Wars, I think a good example is The Force Awakens. Big thing was, man, new cast of characters, they're great. They've got really intrigue there. There's a lot of questions about them. They are very relatable. Uh, and you feel like you kind of want you want to be friends with them in a lot of ways for, for audiences if you like myself as well you feel like you're living through that character and in a lot of ways you're, you're trying to find a character to get plugged into so that's really your gateway into uh the story but but i would actually put themes above the story because ultimately i think the themes are what your story and your plot are trying to accomplish like what are the things we're trying to tell you with our characters going on this ride uh going through this plot uh so I, again i think alexander's dead on even if i disagree with themes and there are actually a lot of movies that are incredibly well made that that have all these elements functioning full-blown that i don't like because the themes are a little detestable to me um but it's important that you have very clear themes that uh are kind of conveying the meaning and the message and the ideas uh behind the film and then you have to have plot plots also very important because that's that's the ride that's the fun part that's the oh we're gonna go fly to xyz planet we're gonna go in the places or we're all just going to sit in one room and deck it out like Saw. Or uh, in the context of Star Wars, Ryan Johnson, uh, his Breaking Bad d- debut, the plot was him, uh, Walt, the main character, and his lab partner, Jesse, were just stuck in a room trying to kill off life. 
very basic, but there is still actually a plot there, even though the plot is not the main driving force. So again, plot, very important. Then you get into the uh, the ability to subvert or ability to surprise. And see, here's the thing about, uh, it works hand in hand with plot. It's not as important as plot because ultimately your plot needs to make sense. Uh, it needs to support uh, and give your characters and your themes a vehicle. So subverting is like the bonus. Whenever, especially in our culture today where we all consume so many different stories with a lot of times very repetitious plots. Uh, and as Caleb would say, there's theoretically, we've all already seen every single plot that can be imagined. It's a, it's the ability to surprise us uh, by throwing, putting a twist on the plot or, or adding an element from a different genre that makes you really rethink the plot you're in and the type of story you're in. Uh, and lastly, like Alexander said, world building. World building is where the really fun let's geek out about this stuff comes from. And it's a great element. Star Wars is a, is a big favorite of mine. I mean, we were talking just before on the show, geeking out about all sorts of Star Wars lore and like uh, how did Force Ghost works. Let's talk about Qui-Gon Jinn. What's his backstory? And that's the really fun. That's the icing on the cake. That's the stuff you're, you're talking about at your lunchroom tables in, in elementary, middle, and high school talking about all the theoretical things that can happen or what, what happened in the latest comic book or novel, uh, et cetera. Uh, so those, are, again, uh, rank ranking would, would go for character, themes, plot, uh, subversion, and the ability to surprise and world building. Uh, and of course, I am Caleb Masters, editor-in-chief and the film critic for thecinematropolis.com if you want to know more. All right. Vinton Bain, I'm going to ask you the same. We have right. plot, character yeah. arts, ability to surprise you, slash subversion of expectation, world building, and themes. Yeah, so Rank I've them. never been asked a question like this before, so I'm having to think of this off the top of my <laughs> head here. Uh, I feel like usually when I go on the podcast, I have like tons of notes. I'm prepared for everything. I got no notes. We'll see how this goes. Uh, off the top of my head, I think if we did this again, you could ask me, and I would. this would completely change. But right now in this moment, I'm going to put character arcs as number one for me. I think a good character that I can either relate to or I can see in the world and can open my mind a little bit to something different outside of myself is always something really important for me, getting a character that I can just really enjoy, even if it's the villain and just seeing uh, a new perspective in that type of manner. I think character is very important. Uh, uh, secondly to that I'm actually going to throw world building as a number two for me because I think deep down inside I am still that middle school kid who just loves living in the world of the fiction that I enjoy and my favorite thing like Caleb was talking about uh, is just to get around some friends and say so in Star Wars what would you be and where would you live and what kind of world is you, would be your favorite I remember being in middle school and playing uh, Star Wars and I always wanted to be a bounty hunter Jedi and it was because I love world building I love the idea of seeing what can fit in there what can't how could it work making it work so i think that's a really strong point for me i want to live in the worlds of the fiction i enjoy uh for three i'm going to put plot because plot's very important if you don't have a plot you don't have very much at all <laughs> you might as well have a video game where you get to choose your own story and it's a completely open world if you don't have a plot uh, and you can't do that with a movie so it would not work so i don't know what else to say about that really except for plot is important uh fourth i'm going to put themes and the reason i'm going to rank that one a little bit lower is because uh i feel like when i experience a piece of fiction i often walk away with a theme only to find out that it's not the theme that anyone else experienced 
nor the one that was uh, implied by the creator. And so I'm just like, oh, okay. And then usually I miss the themes that others experience and the one that is implied by the creator. I'm like, oh, that's what it was supposed to mean? Oh. So I feel like I'm in my own little world. And theme, while it is important, I usually don't walk away with the same one that everyone else does. So I'm going to rank that a little bit lower. Uh, lastly, I'm going to put subversion. And the reason for that is because, like we've said, every story has been told. I feel like you can tell me the same story, but the thing that's important for me is while every story has been told, you haven't told me that same story. And I want to hear your version of that story. So I don't need to be surprised necessarily. I don't need, I can go in, like spoilers don't bother me at all. I feel like a good story survives spoilers It's because it's, it's just a crutch for what the movie should be. I don't need a twist to make my movie good. I need everything else to carry it past that point. <laughs> that being said, I do enjoy a good twist. After experiencing so much fiction, I'm really good at guessing where something's going to go and I can enjoy it 100%. It can be my favorite thing after guessing everything that's well, going to happen. And tell us about you. Where can we find you? Well, I am Vinton Bain and I love comic books. That's like my main thing. That's what everyone knows me for. Uh, mostly, I spend all my time on Twitter talking about comic books to everyone. On Twitter, I'm at Flesh Eater, so come talk comic books with me. I also do a podcast from the Graphomania Podcast Network at graphocast.com. That's G-R-A-P-H-O-C-A-S-T dot com. Currently, the only one I'm running on that is Read Brave Comics, and it's on hiatus at the moment. But I also do a comic book podcast for the Common Room Radio Podcast Network at commonroomradio.com or wherever your fine podcasts are found under the name Excelsior. And we talk about uh, comic book movies, comic book TV shows, and comic books themselves, just diving into one story, geeking out about it, talking about all the background information, and laughing a lot, making a lot of stupid jokes, and having some fun. I absolutely hate you right now. Um, <laughs> I have one podcast, and when I talk about it, I'm like, uh, I, I'm a nerd, and I, I like to talk, and I, I, I um, talk about things with... I'm a white guy, so... Uh, uh, oh, geez, there's a lot of us. Um, like, uh, yeah, you, you, have, you have a, a spiel, and you can actually present all of that information without stumbling over yourself for an I hour. I should that, probably lead with terrible. that information. I hate it. There is a female voice on my, on my nerd show. Yes. <laughs> it's not just yeah. white dudes. Not, hashtag not just white dudes. <laughs> That's the goal. All right, and I will be moderating this. My name is Caleb Haldane, and uh, you can find me on the Red Six to Golden Crowl podcast. We are some white nerds. Yep, I know. They exist. Hey, there, you're some charming white nerds <laughs> Very with charming. some good jokes and some great pop culture knowledge. You guys, uh, you guys, when I was on your show earlier this year, you, you pulled one out from underneath me on some film knowledge. And I'm a film critic, so... <laughs> you guys... It's a good time. We, uh, I would say we, we used to think of ourselves as just holy nerd culture, and we're starting to shift a bit to uh, think of ourselves as a, as a comedy podcast. Uh, we're really there for the entertainment value, yeah. and uh, we really like doing what we're doing. So You're if you want to... Uh, well, thank you very much. If you want to check us out, uh, go to wwwred 6 com. And, and I might even throw in there, like if you're listening to this podcast, you should go to listen to Caleb and his co-host Nick talk about, give their review of uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and then go over to thecinematropolis.com and look at our cinematic schematic review of The Last yeah. Jedi, and then listen to this, because I think it's... That, that will definitely give you the why this is actually happening. Uh, you know, Caleb Masters and I had a nice little Twitter battle over uh, our competing shows because he has definitely one take on his and we take a very different take. <laughs> like, like the opposite take, actually. Maybe, maybe exactly the opposite. Maybe, <laughs> maybe even polar opposite. But yeah, it, w it was a good time uh, even, even chatting with you on Twitter. So we knew we had to make this happen. Yeah, and uh, Caleb, uh, I, I'm really glad that we can all sit around this table with competing ideas that might not align about Star Wars and share our passion and love for this franchise, even when our views differ. Uh, I just throw this out there because uh, one thing that, that has really been a huge downer for me personally is that a lot of 
people on the internet have not agreed and have not been able to have a good, healthy conversation like we're having right now about Star Wars and, and why, and they're now saying very mean things to people who disagree with them uh, to the point where it's creating uh, a lot of like just arguments and like insults and like I feel like I'm reliving the 2016 election over Star Wars. <laughs> so um, I'm no, really glad that I'm really thankful yeah. that we have a we have a, we have a group, of, group of friends. But I'd also encourage our listeners out there, uh, you know, once they finish listening to this, if you have someone out there, don't be afraid to reach out to them. Just talk. All right. So we're going to get into the Star Wars talk right now. I'm going to pitch a, a pretty softball here. This was a, a nitpick I had. Um, I'm going to explain it in full, and then I'm going to kick it to one of you guys to explain why this nitpick doesn't matter. And it is bombers in space. So we've got a concept of a slow-moving vehicle in space, which uh, vehicles in space move at whatever speed their engines can drive. Like, there's no reason for slow vehicles in space because there's no mass restrictions, there's no aerodynamic restrictions. So these bombers are slow for no reason, and they also need to get over their target. The this to me makes no sense. And while watching this, it was it was a real big nitpick for me. I was like, why is this happening? Why why aren't these bombs just being launched from the planet? Why aren't these bombs being launched from anywhere but directly over top of the dreadnought. So, uh, Caleb Masters, you you look like you have something to say. When you're talking about Star Wars, we're living uh, in a universe that does ride a, a really thin line between science fiction and science fantasy. Science fiction is going to tell you we do, we do need to have some sort of consistent laws and rules and physics and uh, to and consistency to all of it. I'm not saying those are bad things, but when you're in space fantasy, that's more like Lord of the Rings in space. That's more like uh, space wizards. Space right? wizards. That's what we we talk about the Jedi as being a space wizard. Exactly. So this is where it gets a little into the ambiguous territory. I personally don't think it really matters because one I, I, it just seems like a really petty nitpick uh, like okay so it moves slow Ryan Johnson wrote it that way because he felt like it would have the maximum dramatic impact he needed to introduce uh, a, a character who was sacrificial and for whatever reason that involved uh, a ship that had to take longer to get there so that we were able to get inside the cockpit and see what was going on and what kind of a, a struggle uh, the character the, the pilot inside the cockpit or the, the bomber inside the cockpit was having to go through in order to drop this bomb that would ultimately wipe out this big dreadnought ship. If that's something that drives you crazy, I get it. I, I think looking at the big picture of the film and what the film is trying to articulate and what is trying to be demonstrated, which is a sacrificial act to allow their people to have a victory and get away. Uh, so that, to me, is the big takeaway from the scene. Is it slow? Sure. Uh, I played Star Wars uh, Rogue Squadron on the GameCube, and yes, there were bombers. You could the, the Y wings would be sufficient; they're way faster, and they drop bombs. But you know what? Like that's not what worked. That's not what serviced uh, the story that Ryan Johnson was telling in this particular film. So I don't think it's a big deal. Alexander Bohannon, do you have yeah, a comment? Yeah, okay. So um, building from what Mr. Masters just said, for one, for me, it didn't bother me personally. And this was something, a realization that came from um, the why didn't really bother me because I was, a, you know, the first watch, you're like, oh my God, it's Star Wars and I'm alive and this movie isn't total, you know, regardless of what you thought of it. Well, some people see, do say it's like worse than the Christmas special or whatever. But uh, for me, I'm like, this is a lot. I'm alive and this Star Wars is good. Cool. Um, but the second uh, watch, I'm like, okay, let's, let's like really think about this more of a super film critical and analytical way. And something I came away with after that second watch was the fact that 
Leia repeatedly told Poe, disengage, disengage. Do not do this. Do not do this. Poe fucked up. He fucked up by sending his people in to attack that dreadnought. That was, in my opinion, like, I don't think it may have been the original plan because he was originally taking off those cannons that could hit the base from that that trajectory so that bomber plan i don't think was ever supposed to be the plan so now you have these this it's a suboptimal attack you have poe dameron and his little guard ships kind of a wings uh, and then you have the x wings and then of course you have these bomber ships i i my personal thing is uh one thing this was never supposed to really be the plan and yet poe is like so obsessed he's like oh i'm so gun trigger happy that i want this to be the plan and he's ignoring his um his presiding officers uh com- comments on this plan he had to be the hero he uh, yeah he and it goes back to act. to me it like goes back to poe's arc which i really like in this film quite a lot um about him understanding what heroics is and what it isn't at least in this universe so the slow moving bombers questions of like metaphysics and like you know why is the mass a thing why why does it have to be over this target to me, I, I'm not so much thinking about that as more of I'm thinking maybe Leia actually considered all of these things, but and told, and that's one reason why she's like, no, we're going to abort this mission. And then Poe did it anyway because he was an idiot and he wanted to be the big hero and save the day. I mean, for me, and I, my middle name might as well be suspension of disbelief. <laughs> as long as it looks cool, and it looked awesome. It did look it amazing. Did, and I, of course, yeah. that's not the only thing it needs to do because things can look cool all day, and the movie can still be awful. <laughs> but I mean, I could come up with a million reasons why. I mean, I could like talk about it all day, and it doesn't matter. I mean, I could say, I guess they have shields that keep them from being blasted. Maybe those shields also contain a gravity, and so if you have to get in there and t- toward the gravity, you have to be close enough. And then once you are, there's a gravity that can drop the bombs, and I, I don't know. No, I could I could talk about that it. sounded never... like some great BS to me. Like, I love that. That <laughs> right, was great. Right. I, I totally don't believe it. What is the gravitational pull of the ship? That's a giant planet-sized ship. They're dropping bombs. I'm just saying. Here's know. the thing, and I don't mean to you know beat the horse that I'm uh, a comic book guy, but after 30 years of reading comic books, head cannoning is everything. <laughs> yes. So, but anytime something doesn't make sense, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to mark that as that it makes sense for some reason, and just move past it because you have to do that a lot in comic books. And here it just. I really like the visuals. I really like the plot. You know, I can't remember the the sister's name, but her her sacrifice in that scene was really cool. It was a really well done scene. I was so engaged that it wasn't until after I finished watching the movie I was like, bombers, huh? That's weird. <laughs> but in the moment, I never thought about it, and that's to me why it was so engaging. They really engaged me there. Oh, and 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 Vinton, what you said just made me realize this also serves another really critical purpose of introducing Rose's sister. Again, seeing a hero sacrifice self, but Rose's sister specifically establishes that she's got the other half. Of of her like that moon necklace mm. that they the she yin had. yang the, yes. the yeah. super stereotypical Asians have to have yin yangs yeah it, I mean <laughs> it, like it was one of those Maybe. things that when someone pointed out to me it was like you really I mean did we need a space like you could pick literally any shape listen, to make listen. that out of it we picked it could have been anything my sisters have met have had for peers of their life matching bracelets with sister like with the different letters of their names I mean, on it, it and that's cute i mean yeah yes of course yeah. it's stereotypical yeah. but, <laughs> but it's, if we're gonna complain about stereotypical and things like that we could we could be here all day yeah, talking we'll about the old star wars movies so yeah it's fair so we're gonna move on and we are gonna talk about they jump right into this battle and it doesn't give us a good sense of what the timeline actually is. Uh, we have just had a major victory uh, in, in The Force Awakens in destroying Starkiller Base. Uh, we've 
you know, they they don't, from what we knew in the movie, know where the rebels were hiding, right? The resistance. I'm going to say rebels throughout this. It's going to happen. You know what? It's going to happen. And you know what, Caleb? To your point, the movie also does not care. They right. say, I'll, I'll I'm rebel scum. Yeah. yeah. Tomato, yeah, to rebel. So <laughs> where, where, where are we? And... If this is immediate, what was the point of Finn being critically injured only to be awoken or, um, like right away? So, and if it's not immediate, how do we have the Ray scene in The Force Awakens when it's clearly the next step in Last Jedi? So, um, Vinton, I'm going to have you kick this one off first. So, to me, we do know that, obviously, Ray was not just standing in front of Luke Skywalker for, like, three months. <laughs> <laughs> we know that. Holding you know, her hand out for three months. <laughs> this is where we can know something. Take yeah. uh, for the rest of it, there's not much information, as you've mentioned. Uh, but there's also not much information of how much time Ray spends on the island with Luke after that point. Because we see her following him around. It seems to be a while. But we don't get a clear, this is a day, this is a night, this is the next day, this is the next night. Or this is three months later. So, it does seem to be a bit up in the air i can see that uh the healing chambers and star wars universe do work fast i mean we know that luke was thrown in one and he didn't take him that long i assume uh, again we didn't have a clear time there either but i think you know this is the future it's wibbly wobbly timey blindly we, we can assume a lot of things i think that there was some danger and that's why he was in the healing chamber but i think that he was woken up before they even expected them to so he healed faster than they even expected them to but i would say that in my mind, in my head canon, because I have a lot of those, maybe a couple weeks was about the time that Ray spent on the island. Because I can't see her staying there for months without leaving, but I could see a couple weeks her really wanting Luke to join this. All right. Uh, Masters, what about, uh, what about you? Yeah, so I think Venton hit on a really good point uh, in passing right there was... This is a problem that you're going to see throughout all Star Wars films. How long is it between... A New Hope and Empire. How long is it between Empire and Return of the Jedi? How long is Luke training with Yoda while we see what's, you know, Luke, or sorry, Han, Leia, and Chewie running away from Darth Vader for what seems like a few day, a couple of days max? Like, you know, the timeline is not consistent. So while I do think it's a little fuzzy here, I completely agree. I have some theories. I think I, I tend to agree with Vinton, which is we have Ray, who's on kind of a different timeline-ish than uh, the uh, the rest of the rebels the rebels it's like this is a couple weeks later for for Ray we pick up on her with her story like immediately where we left off and there's a little and, and obviously she didn't just train with them for like two days it was probably a little longer than that um, again a lot, there is a lot of suspension of suspension of disbelief I'm not going to argue with you there but I I think if you're going to criticize it and the Last Jedi, you have to look at all the Star Wars films. I think Empire Strikes Back is probably the guiltiest of that, where you're like, wait a second, Han and Leia, how long were they how long were they in that giant worm in the asteroid field? We don't know. We there's a lot of things we don't right. un know and understand. And also again, the big question at the end of Empire and before Jedi is how long is is it two months? Is it a week? Like it's really unclear. It seems like it's been quite a while, but there are other things that hint that it was only a couple days. So I I mean I think this is a valid point, but I think this is where you got to look. You, if, if you're going to critique it here, look at it everywhere else. Okay, uh, Alexandra. Yeah, um, I honestly, I, I really agree with Vinton and Caleb Masters about this particular point. Um, uh, like for me, watching the film, I that initial viewing, I was not like confused to the point where I'm like, oh, this is detracting my enjoyment of the story. But I was just like. Uh, okay, whatever. And then just kind of like 
moved on. And I never had the issue with like the Ray stuff because for me, like Caleb was saying, it seems so similar to the treatment we got in, in empire and the other, at least the original trilogy that I was just like, well, you know, she's going to go and do her thing. And then like, we're just going to keep cutting from her into the, into the rebels. And, um, I mean, I went home after watching, uh, watching last Jedi and then immediately watched empire when I went home. And I mean, it, it does all that stuff. Like the, like you were saying, like, I mean, of course we have these really clear analogies between Yoda and Luke, you know, and these analogum analogies of, you know, Lucas to Ray as Lucas to Yoda, you know, in like the teacher, trainer the teaching pupil type stuff and so whenever we get these cuts like I mean to me it felt like it's not necessarily like a time thing but almost just like keeping in with how the rest of the Star Wars like editing style operates like we do a lot of cuts from here is a place and here is another place with people doing things that they'll catch up to those people later that like to me that's a a trope that reoccurs throughout the series and so I mean it it really didn't quite bother me quite as much um, for that reason so so uh, well I I understand and and I think that yes there is many points in the timeline that is Star Wars that uh, is unclear. During those unclear moments, we don't have such dichotomies of what was the point of injuring Finn from a storytelling perspective, or what is the point of having a victory if we're immediately going to go on the escape. And I'm actually going to go, uh, Vinton, I know that you had something to say. It might have been on the last point. It may be on this point included. Uh what, what do you have to tell me? Yeah, well, one of the things I was going to mention is I think we are going to keep coming back to this point that uh, a lot of the things, the problems for me with this film were also problems with all the other films. And so I think that's something that's it's come up already with our other guests here, but I think it's going to keep coming up. <laughs> but uh, with Finn in particular, I think one of the reasons why we had to enter him is we had to separate him from Ray and he wasn't going to leave Ray at this point. He want, wanted to be with her. He, the first thing he does when he wakes up, he's like, where's Ray? What, what are we doing here? Uh, we got we to track her down. He wants to just run away and get her and i think uh of course if i want to look behind the scenes a little bit these are by different people one person's idea might have not transferred over to the other person so he takes someone else's idea and says well i'm going to use it this way and so it could have been that they had a completely different idea when they did that uh so you know you're just picking up the pieces when you when you come into stories like this but i think that was the biggest thing for me is i think he, he had to be separated for ray for some reason well, I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to get more into what uh, a director's ownership is to his own past in a product. But for now, uh, I think, Masters, you have something to say? Uh, yeah, well, actually, I think I'm going to use this as a, as a launching off point to talk about exactly that. Because yeah. uh, the, So let's talk a little bit about how this movie is made uh, and how the new Star Wars films, to our knowledge, as much as we can read and consume out there, uh, know without actually being on the inside uh, as far as going, you can go as far up as finding leaked emails. But um, what we're looking at is Kathleen Kennedy, this is the producer of the Star Wars universe at large. She's the gatekeeper. She makes all the big calls. I mean, it's her and Bob Iger. The and she, Bob Iger generally defers to her when it comes to making these big decisions. Bob Iger being the CEO of Disney. Um, so basically with the first one, she needed someone who could get something done quick because they were on a really tight deadline for The Force Awakens. They needed someone who had an experience launching things. J.J. Abrams has launched many pilots. Uh, and she needed someone who understood what it was about the original Star Wars that people liked and recreated that. Because coming off of the prequels, fans 
were not uh, people generally didn't like. They needed to come back in and say, "We're Disney. I know we're Disney. We you guys think this about Disney, but we want to show you that we know why you like Star Wars." So they make the Force Awakens. J.J. Abrams is really, really good at breaking things down. He understands how to recreate moments. Uh, he he knows how to recreate feelings and emo- and and, uh, and and elicit re- emotional reactions. So he was a match made in heaven for the Force Awakens. Now, what he what happens then is there is a passing of the baton. Kathleen Kennedy does not have some giant schematic in her Disney basement somewhere that has all of the bullet points for what's going to happen in XYZ film. They have some very high-level ideas for as far as where they want it to go. But ultimately, outside of those really, I'm talking like ultra-high-level thematically, like things that they want to accomplish, they leave it up to the filmmakers to decide. So, J.J. Uh, Abrams, when this film, when, when Force Awakens went into production, that's when they announced Ryan Johnson was coming on board. And Ryan Johnson got the script for The Force Awakens, but the film had not, it was in production, it had not been released, and before the film was even completed, he had finished a treatment of his script that he turned in. He turned it in 14 months ahead of his deadline, which is crazy, by the way, that uh, Alexander's a filmmaker knows that that's like, never happens. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I say that to say is, he was not reacting to The Force Awakens as, ooh, what can I do to mess with the fans' day? He was making, he was looking at it and saying, "What interests me about this story?" Uh, and on many interviews, he said, "The characters, the characters, the characters." Now, this ties into the point that you brought up: Why is Finn injured at the end of the Force Awakens, but seems to click back into action pretty quickly in this one? Well, uh, Vent hit it on the head. He, they needed to separate Ray and Finn, and Finn at that point in the in the in the plot uh, was like he wasn't going to let go. So. Uh, he was, in, and it made sense. He 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 confronted um, Kylo Ren, and he's injured. Cool. Ryan Johnson says, "Cool. Well, in my in the story I'm telling, I need Finn to do this. Okay. So how far can I stretch the audience suspension of belief? And by the way, screenwriters everywhere do this. They they actually pose the question. Okay." Whenever they run into these uh, they, they, these these kind of hurdles, they ask, "Will the audience buy it? Will I buy it?" And Ryan Johnson, being a Star Wars fan, ha- also asking himself the same question. Um, so I think for that particular thing, this is Ryan Johnson saying, "I need this character here. We don't want to leave him like in a coma for half the movie, but we've got to bring him in. So we're just going to assume that an ambiguous amount of time has passed, and he's in the Bakta tank or, or whatever they are they're called in in the new trilogy, uh, and it works pretty quickly." So again, you just have to kind of buy that it worked. I don't know. Say say it was a day. I don't know. It works that fast. Yeah. And you posit some really interesting questions that kind of goes to auteur theory and like film and in literature. Like who, especially in film, I find this question extremely interesting because, okay, going back to J.K. Rowling, she is the auteur of the entire work of Harry Potter, like books one through seven. And then she, you know, movies are their own thing. But like, so she had complete ownership and control over entire franchise. And she, she could do that thing where she looks at high level plot points and be like, okay, I can trace these storylines forward and bring them through the entire series. Whenever you have a film and you have so many people with fingers in this pie, like it's so hard sometimes to keep track of like, I liked your analogy about Kathleen Kennedy only knowing these really high level concepts. But whenever you get into the weeds, whenever you have a transition of leadership from a JJ Abrams type 
you know, director and did he write that script? I can't remember. Uh, yes, J.J. Abrams did Okay, so he wrote The Force Awakens and then transitioning to going back to your Ryan Johnson type of director, just kind of trying to marry those two different auteurs who had different perspectives on a work. And I, I think it's really interesting to see, like, think of the, the end of this movie. We were set up with this big bad who is the Emperor Light, basically. And then he dies in the second movie. I think that's a very interesting turn of events, which if J.J. Abrams had probably directed all of these movies, would have gotten a death of the Emperor at the end of the third <laughs> Emperor Light yeah, in the I, third I, film. Like, it would have just been like four, five, and six again, uh, just told uh, differently. Uh, and, and one thing, they, that's not to say there's no communication. I know both J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson in separate interviews, separate different years, uh, have both said, yeah, we had lunch and talked about what we thought. It, again, passing the baton. Hey, here's where I left these characters. Here's some ideas I had for where it could go. But hey, it's your playground. And Ryan Johnson, at the end of this film, doing the same thing back to J.J. He's saying, hey, here's I've got I think I set some things up, but do with it what you wish. Yeah. To me, uh, fil films, when especially when you get into like a giant franchise like this with lots of moving parts and different directors coming on each time, uh, it really reminds me of uh, like a one word story. It's like that improv game where each person contributes a new word. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes you get this amazing cohesive vision and sometimes you don't, but that's kind of, it's kind of exciting to see like how going in, seeing a different person's interpretation on pieces that were set up in an earlier work. Okay, well, anyway. we're gonna we're gonna move on from that. Yeah, one. sure. Uh, we have already talked about how Poe blatantly disregards Leia, and we get now an interaction between Poe and Holdo. Uh, this is this is where we kind of start to see this interaction, uh, and I'm confused with this because it's like I feel either he should be in the brig or he should be still having full rank and file, right? But instead, we get this muddy middle ground where we don't commit to is he uh, wrong for doing what he's done or is he just worth a slap on the hand, you know? And in this time, we have our plot starts hinging on the fact that Holdo just holds information back from Poe. Is this something that feels like we're forcing it or does this make a lot of sense in the way it's constructed to you? I'm going to start with Alex this time. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this one, I'm really glad you brought up this particular question, Caleb, because some of these things I'm like, yeah, that didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. This one actually did bother me watching the film the first time. I'm like, the fuck? what? And so I really went in the second time because there were a few questions and I, I'm glad I get to talk about some of these because there were a lot of things that I had to take into that second time being like, okay, I need to really pay attention, like really pay attention and see what I miss. Is there something I missed that makes this make more sense to me? Um, and this was one of those pieces of information. So, uh, and, and it, and it goes back to, you know, slight side note, but kind of not really, it, like, is this still okay where I, I'm not wanting to say this film requires two viewings. Everyone should be able to go into this movie, watch it and enjoy it and be like, okay, I'm leaving and, and be done with it and not have to watch it again. I'm not saying that, oh, this, this is like to understand this text. Like this is like a film studies class. You need to watch it like 10 times or something like that. I, I don't feel like a Star Wars film, you know, d like deserves to put that kind of stuff on a person like on a viewer so that's that's a side note so i'm not saying no go out and watch it again because that's that's kind of a rude thing but for me 
Um, why does Holdo hold back the information? Um, so I, I think that in the film, like the, the characters inside the film don't know what to do with Poe. Here we have this, this big action, this big hero, and he does this thing and he really, he creates a great loss of life, a loss of assets. He really, really screws a lot of their plans over. Now, I mean, of course it doesn't matter because they're being tracked through light speed and everything. So that whole jump thing, they would have been tracked regardless if they had had the bombers or not. So keeping that in mind, but they did lose a lot of people in doing that really ill-fated uh, attack on the dreadnought. So in my, <laughs> going back to headcanons, in what I'm thinking, and from the, the film I saw on the screen, Holdo, you know, she doesn't like not necessarily Poe, but the type of man Poe is currently demonstrating him to be, which is, you know, just an X-Wing fighter who gives no shits as long as he can, like, kind of win the day. And it's not like he wants it from a big sense of glory, but because he feels like the only way to be a hero is only one way, and that is to blow shit up and cause cause a ruckus. And he's not thinking about the casualties, the loss of life, the loss of assets. He's not thinking anything outside of his own cockpit, to quote Leia. So just... Going back to that idea, Holdo, in my headcanon, is keeping Poe out of the loop because, A, he's been demoted. He doesn't need to be in these... I mean, again, it's it's not very clear in the text, so this is what I've interpreted from all these conversations. He doesn't deserve to be in these meetings from the first place because he's not really a part of this decision-making team. He's now just another man another captain of an X-Wing on this ship who's having to just like take orders from his admirals, just like everybody else. And I know we're following him and, it, and it's so much of his story as well as all of these other main characters we've got going on. But I mean, he's kind of been demoted almost to like, almost like a background character in the way that they're treating them, even though he's still getting a lot of screen time. Like a lot of all of these other X-Wing captains, they don't know what the fuck's going on, but they're not bitching about it or causing a mutiny. Um, so like... So she's keeping him out of the loop because I think not, not withstanding the rank change, she knows he's not going to like the plan because it's so different from the thing he was wanting to do from the very beginning, which is the thing he has the like Rose and, po, uh, Rose and Finn go off and do anyway, which is like a big kind of big maneuver that causes subterfuge and all kinds of things like lots, lots of big demonstrations of heroics and she knows that he's not going to like that so besides you know the fact that he's been demoted and she doesn't trust him it's she knows that this is going to cause way worse problems telling him any of this information so again that's my personal headcanon from what i had to watch a second time to understand i didn't really like the way they treated this the first time so that's i've thought a lot about that particular topic so the funny thing is, though, he does like the plan. And if he's got so much power that he can back-channel covert ops, why can't he back-channel the information that's being held from him? Vinton. And you can answer both I questions here. I prepared for that question. Oh, you get to answer both. You <laughs> okay. can, you can, well, you can evolve into that. Yeah. <laughs> and see if I can talk while I'm thinking about the second one. So I, I totally agree with what Alex is saying. I, I think that the rank thing plays into it. You have a new leader stepping up into here. Her name's Holdo, so she's going to hold on to some information. Uh, <laughs> oh! 
but one of the things I think that's important to keep in mind is when you're dealing with a story, uh, we're always focused in on one thing. Well, not always. But some storytellers do it differently. But here we're focused in on just a couple of people interacting. When there are a lot of people and a lot of things going on, uh, especially replacing a leader as Holdo is doing for Leia here, she has a lot on her plate. She has to deal with this quickly. She can't be bothered to address every single problem. As far as we know, there's 20 people like Bo doing the same thing going, hey, I, I want this information too. And it's like, just guys, chill. I have to take care of something. I can't answer all your questions. I can't give this information out to everybody. Uh, so I just think that we have to remember the bigger picture in some of these things. Uh, of course, there's you have to headcanon some things. That's always going to be the case. What was your second question again? So the second question is that he does indeed like the plan and he's got enough. Wait, which plan? The Holdo's plan. When Leia delivers that plan to him, he's like, that could work. Yeah, he, he, so buys, he does actually he buy it. the plan. And uh, he has enough power still to back-channel covert op missions, but yet he doesn't back-channel this information that's being held from him. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't think that he has all that much power. I think that he has a few friends with pistols. <laughs> and yes. I think that... Uh, those again, friends are the, probably in on the plan, right? That might be. I think he didn't ask the right questions because he's trigger happy. And so I think if... He's kind of dumb, like in, in like a trigger happy way. Right. Yeah. Right. I think had he stopped to think about what he was doing, maybe he would have chosen a different course, but he was so focused. And so when uh, the opportunity arose with Finn and everything going on rose, and he was just like, yeah, let's do that. Let's get this thing. Let's go. Let's just go. Let's go, 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 go. Because he's a trigger happy dude. He's not planning things out properly. All right, Caleb, you get to uh, finish and wrap this this up. Uh, yeah, I, I want to put a different spin on this one because uh, I will concede that I think this is a flaw with a plot. Uh, I don't think it breaks it, but I think it's something. It, there is headcanon. You do have to kind of self-explain a little bit. There's suspension of disbelief. One thing I noticed about this in particular is it feels like this movie is two and a half hours long. It's either it feels like there's a few things missing, so it's either too short or it's too long. As in, they can included too much stuff or they didn't include include enough. And there are little things like here. It, one thing you said on your and on, on your podcast on the Red Six Golden Corral uh, podcast uh, about the Last Jedi was it feels like they're treating this like a mole subplot, and I 200% agree with that because they are like we don't want to let that. And that was my first instinct. Well, mm -hmm. they don't want to tell anybody because they don't know how they're being tracked, so they don't want to mm -hmm. leak that information. Uh, and I. I said that's i totally agree but again the second time i watched it not there is not a whiff of that type of subplot at least conveyed in the text right and i would say sure that's a problem i will say while that is a plot problem here's one thing i really liked about it though we're taking poe this this is going back to the themes uh we're taking poe he is in a, in a more traditional Star Wars story, he's the hero. He's the one who is calling the shots. He's the hot shot pilot who blows up the Death Star like Luke Skywalker. He's your guy. He's your Han Solo. He's one of your guys you're rooting for, even when he's doing really dumb stuff. So, I don't know. Go back and think about that moment whenever they're announcing who the next in command is. He's got this kind of like look on his face like, oh, it's my time. I'm going to step up. I'm the dude. <laughs> what do you mean there's this woman, General Holdo, who... Wait, that's General Holdo? That's not, that can't be General Holdo. She's a woman. I mean, the purple hair. No, that can't be her. Uh, and he doesn't say that, but like his expressions convey that, well, of course, I, your best pilot, am going to be your first in command. Um, but no, they turn over to someone who's totally, uh, it's someone totally unexpected. Uh, again, uh, a woman, which I do think is notable. Uh, and I think that just goes on to further, uh, to, to not really subvert, but more clearly support the theme of the movie that being a hero is not as important as uh, actually saving than, than actually saving the day, not looking like you're saving the day. 
We need to wrap this up. So do you have a final thought yeah, for us, Finn? Just a final thought. I just agree with Caleb. When the reveal is brought about, uh, I'm like, wait, why did we do this? Yes, exactly. But what I wanted to say was I do like the subversion of the hero doesn't always get what he wants. It doesn't always work out the way he wants. That, you know, Luke shouldn't just be able to walk on and be like, I have some ideas of how to take the dust star. Okay, everyone listen to the backwards kid. That it shouldn't always work that way. He's so like I the next, like yeah, the next mission, he's like the first in command, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do like the idea that Poe's not being trusted. He's kind of shoved to the side and things aren't working out for him. All right, that's great. So now we have this relationship because we have a vacuum in power that is Princess Leia, General Leia, the matriarch of the resistance. And uh, as she gets you know, blown out of the bridge there and, and floats into space, I felt this such a powerful movement going on. I felt like there was this tear that was slowly trying to trickle down. And as she forced her way back onto the ship which has all sorts of like geographical problems for me because like a sh this ship's got to be moving thousands of kilometers a second and she gets blown out she's out there for 30 seconds this thing's so far away by the time she forces back but it looks like she goes about 50 yards but that mo that moment also like as she was forcing back to the ship so was that tear forcing back into my eye because i knew i wasn't getting this super touching scene that i thought i was about to get does anybody feel that way or do you feel that this was a super appropriate way to handle Leia, I'm actually going to start with you, Alexandra. I'm sorry. I, I'm making a face because I, I, I talked with one of my best friends about this movie and he's like yeah i have some problems with it but i generally like it and i was like oh my god leia force force flying her way back into that ship because that was honestly my biggest biggest wtf like the thing i like least about this movie i thought it was stupid i thought it was actually stupid i thought it was not i i I was like, wow, that's a way to make this saga end. And I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, it's because Carrie Fisher is deceased. But I'm like, we know we need to we need to move on from this character right. and her arcs. It's not just the death of an actress because we've handled that kind of act of death of actors in film and how we move on from that. But so when I watched her ass fly right back on that spaceship, I was like mad. Like, I did not like that at all. I thought that was stupid. I actually do not like that at all. So... Were we robbed a touching goodbye with Leia? That's kind of a more interesting perspective because I, you know, like all of us after Carrie Fisher passed away, um, God rest her soul, because we all thought that meant, oh, she's going to die. And I don't, yes. I, I wonder uh, if like, and like, again, going back to subversion of, uh, of beliefs and ability to surprise you, I do wonder if maybe that was the original idea and that because she passed, we like, I don't know. Like I, it felt so out of place to me and it really took, it did take me out of the movie. And I wasn't a fan. Um, I do think the scene with Luke and Leia later, I thought that was very touching the force ghost kiss in that, in that little encounter, that sweet little moment. That was, that was so nice. And, and if that is my touching goodbye with Leia, that's totally fine with me. And I'm very satisfied with that. But I was not about that force, force onto the ship thing. Oh my God, I hated that. Anyway, Caleb. Masters, we talked about this on Twitter. I know you have some thoughts. How about you tell me? 
you know, it's not my favorite thing in the movie, but I don't hate it. I think it, I don't, and I don't think it like breaks the movie. I think Leia has always been hinted at having force powers. We haven't ever seen her use them before, but also like, when are we going to, when are we going to get to see her use them? Okay. Well, she's more featured in this movie than she was in the last movie. So it makes sense. Right. Cause she herself did not discover that that was a thing she had until the end of return of the Jedi. So I think it's fine. I mean, is it necessary? No, no. It's not, but no, neither is most fan service or, or, or like Easter eggs. Like those aren't necessary, but they can be fun. If it breaks it for you, I get it. It's not necessary. This is not important, but I will say I'm indifferent. I don't think it really adds much, but I also don't think it hurts anything either. Um, now that's, that said, I don't think when we're getting in the bigger picture of, are, are we robbed of a touching goodbye? I can say right now, and this might be me being really arrogant. Uh, I was pretty confident that she, Leia was not written to die in this movie. I was like 200% sure, and I was also, because I know Ryan Johnson's work, I am a Ryan Johnson fanboy, as you'd put it, uh, I knew he was the type of director that would say, I don't want to change the film because he, she passed. I think we're honoring her memory by not changing. I, I don't know. It was just something I was like, he's that type of director that would say that thing. Yeah. And then, of course, this all goes through. The movie comes out. We see it. And then the, all the post-interviews, they ask him that question. Yeah. And he says, me and Kathleen Kennedy sat down. We talked about it. And we felt like the like the, the moments that she has laid in the film, specifically the one with Luke, was worth her sticking around. So, uh, again, I'm pretty indifferent to the, 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 the controversial, her la-la land, force-pulling herself <laughs> back to the ship. It, will yeah. will anything change for you if you find out they kill her in the crawl? I mean, what, here's the thing though. I don't I don't blame anyone for that. Like this is just life, guys. I hate to say it. Like what are they going to do? Ride her out in a really cheap way and, and take away from the story in the last Jedi or CGI her in the next one? No, I They think, all already said they're not yeah, going to they, do, they, right. do that. They have the rights, they own the rights, but they have promised the community they won't do it. So what 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 do you expect them to do? And I I don't think it's fair to fault this movie or fault the filmmakers or anyone this is just misunfortunate circumstances and and if anything it's most unfortunate for carrie fisher's family and you know it's a bummer i think a really cool way to pay homage is maybe you reference it in the crawl and the opening scene is a funeral that is very heartfelt and touching i think that's a really really great way to still honor that character um and honor carrie fisher without necessarily like disrespecting what's come before it and that'll be a satisfying goodbye for you then for me that would be very satisfying knowing given given the circumstances vinton you've got a lot to unpack because we've added <laughs> quite a bit as we yeah. as we've moved on yeah. so uh uh, I feel like my comments can be pretty short because I kind of fully agree with Masters on this one. I'm mostly indifferent to it. I think that would be a great way to do the send-off. I hadn't really put any thought into how they were going to actually do that. For me, when I watched the film, the death was not pulling on any emotions because uh, while they had said that they weren't going to change anything because of her death, I was like but won't you? And when I saw it happening, I was like, oh, you're doing it. I don't know if I'm going to like this. And so I was just like so worried for behind the scenes stuff that I kind of lost my moment in that, in that to, to have any kind of emotion to enjoy, not enjoy, but to, you know, feel a good goodbye to Leia in that moment. And I will admit, I, we haven't really said this yet. I'm sure other people feel this way because I haven't read a lot of comments yet uh that force pull looks real cheesy i oh, did not yeah. like the way it looked at uh -uh. all that being said i do believe that she could do it because uh, like we've mentioned the force in her has been referenced before she can feel these things so it was nice to see her have a bit of power with that last moment knowing that she needs to pull back and knowing that there's something to be done i am really interested to see what they do now that we don't have carrie fisher sadly um but 
the moment I'm, I'm mostly indifferent too. I do like that she came back because I was like, oh, okay, cool. You didn't just rather off. There's something here. And of course, as we've already mentioned again, the later things I really enjoy. Yeah. And that's to say, like, I, while I didn't like the, the, the force flying back on the ship, I do agree with Caleb that I feel like there, uh, with your points about um, how that death sequence is probably going to place. And then I do, I'm really glad that you just confirmed what I was thinking about um, honoring Carrie Fisher's memory, because I feel like that having her live throughout the rest of the movie, despite me not liking that particular sequence is a better way of honoring her as a, as a person and as an actress and an integral part of star Wars. I don't want to belabor the point, but just imagine if we didn't have that scene where she sees Luke Skywalker's projection, he hands her that Han Solo's dice. Like that's just that's the closest thing we got to a reunion between those three characters. And it, I mean, I I teared. I mean, I'm almost tearing up right now. Like it's it's a really touching moment. And if they moment. were to kill her on the bridge, we wouldn't have had that. And we sure. would have had her being an inspirational figure for even Poe later in the film. So you know, I would like also like the point that it was a good moment with Kylo when he saw that go down. He pulled up. The, narratively, there was a cool moment that happened there for for her being thrown out in the first place. Sure. I, and I will say that's the pro that's the sad thing is the one thing is because they're not chained he didn't change they didn't really change anything. That's the one thing that kind of stings a little bit. That moment where he does not blow up uh Leia in his moment to do so felt like they were setting up for that to play out in the third movie, being Kylo's like last challenge to overcome to really just fully embrace the dark side. And obviously we're never gonna see that. Right. Mm. All right, so I have a problem with the Finn and Rose storyline being that it actually doesn't advance anything. This is a, a wild goose chase for uh, apparently anything, not not one thing in particular, just, just a wild goose chase for something. And then ultimately it doesn't affect the outcome of the overall resistance. So is this plotline meaningless or does this give us something that is... a not more relevant to characters than it is to plot. Um, I'm going to start with you actually this time masters and let, uh, let someone else anchor this one. Yeah. So does this advance the plot? No, straight up. No, it doesn't. It does not fulfill any plot purpose. It doesn't, but you know what it does? It does. It does afford it forge the characters. We get bonding time between Finn and Rose and the most important takeaway for, actually two, two other important takeaways. You get character, you get themes and you get world building. Um, and thematically, we have to have – so the, the big cool takeaway from this is that they, they go to this Canto Bight uh, and we get to see it. There's a lot of themes here. Uh, you, you get to see, oh, this wretched hive of scum and villainy, classic Star Wars trope, right? But again, this is a cool subversion, an unexpected thing where, oh, we, we've seen Star Wars. We saw Force Awakens. We know what this means. We're going to go to Mos Eisley. No, no, no. You're going to the richest of the rich people who make all their money off of uh, arms dealership. Uh and to Rose, who as a person who has been abused by those types of people her entire life and put down or or, or, or not put down, um, she has been uh, subjugated. Sub subjugated. Thank you. That's a great word for it. Um, her entire life. These are the most evil people in the galaxy. And it just brings more perspective to the universe of Star Wars, brings uh, perspective to, to, to Finn, character growth moment for him. Uh, and also we get to see that not only was she subjugated, we get to see other children there who are subjugated. And this really reaffirms the plot that also ties in with uh, Ray's lineage in the film which is these are nobodies these are little these are kids that are all around the galaxy who are being stomped on by really rich powerful people uh and they are told their entire lives they are nobodies uh ray is a nobody the fact that her heritage uh is 
at least according to this film, and I, I tend to believe Kylo Ren's face value in the same way we believe Darth Vader his face value in Empire Strikes Back, that he's right, uh, that she is a nobody. And that's the cool thing. The Force isn't just for the exclusive ultra-powerful bloodline. It's for everybody. So when we see that moment at the end of the film where uh, one of the, the stable boys just like very nonchalantly uses the Force to grab the broom and looks up at the moon in the same way that like Luke and Anakin Skywalker looked up at the setting suns and Tatooine is amazing. Vinton, add to this. Yeah, so for me, it is... Is it plot relevant? Is it driving the plot? No. But I do like that subversion again, that not everything works out the way the heroes want it to. And again, I'm going to say that it's really cool. I really enjoyed the whole sequence while it doesn't add as much. But that last scene that Caleb was just talking about, Masters was just talking about with the kids. This is showing us that this is where the myth of the rebels is growing, that, that we're getting, uh, there's more of them out there. So it's, sure, it's just these few now, but the story is being passed on. The story is being pushed out into the farthest reaches of the galaxy, even in kids like this. And there's more force out there. There's more out there. And that, that did something to me emotionally. I was just like, this is so so cool. I really like this idea that this story is going out and the people are getting interested. And people are like, yeah, we need to stand up. We can stand up. It's empowering to hear that there's someone standing up and these kids are like, yeah, we can do this. We can stand up. Uh, but aside from that, the whole scene is just a lot of fun to me. I really enjoyed watching it. And so I think that's just a really big thing for me. It doesn't have to be necessarily crucial. And I understand a lot of people say that this feels like two different stories put together. Like this is like a secondary movie thrown in here. But I think we've had that before in the Star Wars universe, especially Empire where there's been two different plots going on at once. Well, that might have been more important. This one was super enjoyable to me, and that's what I look for. So, All right, Alexander. How about yeah. you anchor this down? Ah, anchor it down. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm going to go for, for a little different perspective because one thing that Rose says at the very end of that sequence, uh, right after she stops riding the goat horse dog, uh, is, <laughs> is she takes, uh, you know, they're, they look, their heroes disheartened. They look like they were defeated. Um, and I can't remember if Finn says something first, but basically, uh, Rose says, and now it's worth it. And to me, that really anchored that entire sequence for me because, you know, it, sometimes we get so caught up again, going back to these themes of what is heroism. Um, we get so anchored into what heroism looks like. It looks like blowing up a death star. It looks like doing these big, like big acts of sacrificial hero stuff, which we get later whenever Finn tries to sacrifice himself. And then Rose denies that op opportunity, I guess for some, no better words than that. Uh, but one thing that I thought was interesting is think looking at the little stakes, looking at the kids that are now empowered to think of there are people just like them fighting all over the galaxy yeah. for the rights of the little people. We, we free all of these animals that were being abused and, and disheart and maltreated at the, at the hands of the most wealthy people in the galaxy, which is, it's a, it's abusive and terrible to witness. And so see, thinking that perspective, it, 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 did it matter in the sense that we got this code breaker from this planet successfully and we got him to the thing and he did all this shit? No. But in terms of like, did it matter to the tiny people, to the tiny, tiny facets of this little world that it, this plot did matter? It did matter to somebody in this world that happened during the plot of Star Wars. So it might not have caused, you know, the that tracker system to fail, but it sure is shit like 
helped people along the way. And so that's why I didn't really quite have as many problems with watching that, even if it wasn't it was meaningless quote quote you know um yeah and then of course the world building aspect and i did like the idea of seeing the duality between people that fund the rebels and fund the you know empire light so yeah i could not agree with that more i think you voiced what i was feeling about but couldn't find the words to say (laughs) yay words all right so this um all gets started because Poe radios Maz and Maz is in a firefight and this scene feels so Lucas to me it's like okay we need to contact somebody we, we'll make it Maz we, we've uh, well, what is Maz doing what do, you, what do you mean what is Maz doing well let's let's make her do something uh, let's make her in a firefight why is she in a firefight is she a soldier like was she a super soldier no we're just having a breaking up some dispute and it just it just doesn't makes sense it doesn't extrapolate in any way that i feel makes sense um what does it make sense to you vinton does it make sense well, that's another <laughs> question uh, what yeah. about it works for me while i do feel like it is a little out of place it is a little weird it does kind of feel like we want to get Moz into this because everyone liked Moz. Yeah. we got to at least show where she's at uh I what works about it for me is that I see it and I go, oh, I want to know that story. What is going on with Maz? I want a little bit more of that. Hopefully that gets shows shows up in some kind of Star Wars animated thing later. So it, is it out of place? Yes, it feels out of place. Does it work for me? Yes, it works for me. All right, Caleb Masters. Bingo. <laughs> will it lead to some other sort of multimedia crossover? You bet your money it will. I mean, I don't know if there's anything out there yet, but I guarantee you, this is the, this is you know in, in thinking about it, I think this is also one of the most hands off studio films Disney has made. In a long time but i will say if you're gonna look at the biggest studio intervention right here it's you gotta have Moz in the movie somewhere i guarantee you and whatever thing they gave ryan johnson when he started writing the script or in the notes afterwards feedback i don't know but at some point kathleen kennedy or one of the other producers says so where's Moz? people like her we gotta include her in there he's like well dang you're right well you know yeah yeah let's just write her in and we've massively criticized george lucas for creating things that are obvious storylines to something else that he can hook onto later yes. in some other media or property right now why does ryan johnson get a pass here um i don't think he gets a pass I, i'll be honest this is something i didn't really consider even the second time i didn't consider it until i was reading all the criticisms about it and i was like fair point I mean, I don't think I don't think it's a problem because in the context of this movie, I think it works fine. Is it a little silly? Sure. But I thought it was funny and cute and charming. It's like, yeah, Maz is we don't Maz is again, we don't really know much about her, so she's a mystery doing some yeah. crazy thing and she's setting this up. Cool. Um, but at the same but at the same time looking at it, trying to put on my studio goggles, I can totally see hundred percent see some studio executive saying man those guys love Moz. we've got uh, uh, uh lupita nuong signed on for a three movie contract where can we fit her into the script i can see that i can see that and i don't have a problem with it here because i don't it's very short it's very brief and it accomplishes the goals the film needed to accomplish alexandra oh man that, that <laughs> show is so clunky <laughs> like i wasn't i wasn't it was uh, it was fine. Uh, I'm like, it's one of those situations. I'm like, okay, if you guys had to do it, sure. It, it like it got us to the plot point on the planet. I mean, basically that whole section 
I mean, okay, putting on, like, think of Star Wars internal logic. Like, if I were uh, Rose in this, or not Rose, but because I didn't know Maz, but, it, like, if I were Finn or Poe, it's like, it's like, oh, I'm going to call my buddy. My buddy does this thing. Yeah, maybe my buddy knows this thing. And then you call up the buddy, and the buddy's like, oh, shit, I'm not available, but I do know this guy. Yeah, you should call this guy. I, I mean, it's kind of like one of those situations. It's a little more... Like, I hate saying it's kind of more real life, but it's like that kind of clunkiness of real life of how, you know, you you simplify stories when you tell other people like something that happened to you because it's harder to explain. Oh, my uncle's brother did this thing, you know, and and that kind of like is included here. And and it's not like it's not very, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't flow well and it and, and it seems out of place for sure like studio goggles included uh but yeah so i mean it's one of those things that happened okay <laughs> i mean i think the best part joke of this whole scene is that later in the movie we find out that at some point at some point in the history of this star wars universe maz fucks justin thoreau so that's all i need to know hey, right there. hey. uh speaking of justin thoreau hey. our uh next question is does the man with the lapel pin not matter? Justin Throat, like, w- there's one man in the whole galaxy who can crack this code, but just take anybody? What does that mean to you? Well, firstly, I want to just say that I don't think she ever says there's only one man who can crack this code. She says she knows a guy she trusts to crack this code. And I find it hilarious. Again, this is this is me indulging in I, things I appreciate about Ryan Johnson. I can just imagine him think, sitting there at the script board thinking, what if they go to this thing to find a hacker and they don't get the one they want, but they get another guy, which is exactly what happens. Like they're there for Justin Thoreau. They find him, but then they get just pulled out of their grasp, locked in this dungeon, and they just happen to find this other weird, crazy hacker guy. Is it Deus Ex Machina? Maybe, but it it's so much. I had a lot of fun with this whole thing. It's and I got to see Benicio del Toro chew the scenery, but not chew the scenery so hard that it broke my uh, my uh, suspension of disbelief. I, I appreciated that kind of his performance, and I did feel legitimately bad that he betrayed them i know i should have seen it coming a million miles away from the get-go i especially the second time i was like boy how did i not see it coming from the get-go but like i thought it was like i actually the first time i was watching i was like damn it hurt when he betrayed them even though and again in retrospect like wait they didn't find the guy they were looking for they just found a guy who could do the same job who then stabbed him in the back all right so vinton why do you think the guy with the lapel pin matters or doesn't matter and why that matters or doesn't matter to star wars uh again i it's funny because I put subversion at the end of my important things, but I keep bringing it up here. Uh, it was a good twist for me. It was a good things don't work out the way you want them to work out. And I kind of like that. I do like that they do put in this, that they're really trying to do it, but they're under a time crunch. And so they have to work with whatever they can get in that time limit because they know that it's going to run out of fuel. They're, everyone's going to be lost if they don't do these things quickly. They run into uh, the worst character and uh, they don't trust him at first. They're like, no, 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 we're not going to do this. We're not. And if he, he breaks himself up and he's like helping them and they're like what choice do we have it seems to be like our best option and it's not it doesn't seem to be a bad one so I kind of I buy it that's, I guess that's where I am I buy it <laughs> Alexandra yeah I think I I honestly totally agree with those points that Benton just made um, time crunch there I, I would also throw in a spoonful of 
think think of how rose reacted to finn wow you're a resistance hero oh my god you know fangirling out over him and how she's basically like a plumber on this ship or something i don't even i'm not even sure if she's like a station engineer or something um so she never leaves the ship never gets to be that big hero so this is like her first time doing like a covert ops mission so i would also chalk a little bit of it of them being kind of dumb too like I, I, like they it's they find this man and then their their ideas were subverted and so they just yeah. had to like pick somebody they're otherwise they're like totally boned they're not master strategists a clone trooper and a person that works on pipes all day yeah i mean all right masters uh well and also i just want to throw out there that initially even they're like, yeah, no, bro. I mean, like, he lets them out of their cell, and they're like, oh, this guy might be worth it, but they still just run away, and the only reason, like, he shows up with them, he shows up with the ship and says, you need a ride? Like, here's here's your droid, too, that I kind hey, of vaguely kidnapped. Uh, yeah, yeah, vaguely. I stole, the, I stole the ship and kidnapped your droid, and oh, hey, I can hack that thing you need, uh, and you're being chased. Do you want to join? Okay, cool. Like, it's fun. Uh, is it, ne- I mean, it's fun. I, I still, I will say, though, as a Justin Thoreau fan, leftovers, unsung hero of television <laughs> this last three years. Uh, Justin, I'm a huge Justin Thoreau fan. I hope <laughs> I'm a sap. I totally want to see a spinoff comic or see him in a sequel <laughs> or in a video game or something. Because I'm like, you don't just throw Justin Thoreau at me and not do anything <laughs> with him. Yeah. I mean, I would say that being so, like Caleb brought up really great points. Like they were so they were at the edge of that cliff thinking it was over. And then he shows up with a mm-hmm. ship. So, all right. So the next one is a heavy hitter and that is Luke and what it means to be Luke, what it means for his character to have done the things he's done. We have already a set example of what and who Luke Skywalker is. He is uh, a conflicted Jedi who's had the dark side in him, who's been tempted by the dark side, who also is willing to sacrifice everything to redeem the second most evil person in the galaxy because he believes there's a modicum of good in him and he's related to him. But then we get this same exact scenario presented to us and his first instinct is to cut him in half uh while this child relative child is sleeping uh it it feels way out of character for the luke skywalker we know and i want to know why this luke skywalker makes sense to you masters I've got a lot of things to say about this. I know you do. Uh, I, and I, you know what? I'll, I'll give you a, I'll even play a card for you. And I don't know if you're planning on playing this. Mark Hamill did not like this version of Luke Skywalker. I just want to go ahead and lay that out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's very important. Let's just preface this yeah, by the, saying that. That that Mark Hamill uh, several months ago said that when he read the script, he wasn't a fan. And then, of course, and all the junkets, someone a couple days ago, like drilled him hard and said, no, really. And then he said, you know what? This isn't my Luke Skywalker. This is a version of Luke Skywalker I played. I think Ryan Johnson has a great idea. Uh, it's just not how I envision Luke Skywalker. So uh, I want to throw out there that is Mark Hamill's perspective, and I happen to disagree with Mark Hamill. Uh, so Luke Skywalker is a human. I think it, it fits right in with the themes of this movie that you have heroes that are like these legends, but they're also human and they make mistakes. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they will let you down at some point. Luke Skywalker did believe in redeeming Darth Vader and successfully did so. I, I think we can all agree that he successfully did so with Darth Vader right at the end of Darth Vader's life. And he had a lot of pressure on him to start a new Jedi Order. And 
at a certain point felt the dark side growing in the one who is closest to him being Ben Solo, who is of his bloodline. That makes things a little different because he's related. There's a weird sort of relationship you have. I don't know about you guys. I, when I have, I treat my little brother as a prime example. And I don't want to get too in the weeds about my family, but I treat my little brother differently than I treat other people subconsciously. And it frustrates the hell out of me because I know I do it and I'm trying to get better at it. But I think in the same way, Luke Skywalker has this huge pressure of rebuilding Jedi Order. And he's got his nephew, who, of course, he knows is naturally gifted because it's in their blood, right? And I just want to pose a question to both you and the listeners. Age-old question. One that Ryan Johnson has actually explored before. If you could stop Hitler from becoming Hitler, would you think about it for just a second? And would you maybe act on it just a little bit? Just a little bit, knowing that you could potentially save millions or in galaxies, billions of lives. Would you for a second think, I could stop this? And because you're Luke Skywalker, because you're the legend that everyone looks up, because you're this iconic figure, the the one who is rebuilding Jedi Order, the one who defeated Darth Vader and the Emperor, would you not think it is my responsibility to do so? Now, a lot of this is reading into it. There are a lot of things that are left unclear about what happened to Luke specifically between Return of the Jedi and where we got here. I personally think him becoming this legend and him putting a lot of pressure on himself to do the right thing led to him, for the briefest second, considering trying to stop his nephew. And then, more importantly, is after he did it, he realized that he messed up, and then his nephew realized it was too late. And then, obviously, we get the birth of Kylo Ren. I think his entire reaction feels organic to who I believe Luke to be because Luke is a human. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he is going to grow and change as a human. He's going to encounter things that challenge his worldview and the way he does things, the way he thinks about things. And this is one of those. And he failed. And he failed and did the wrong thing in the wrong moment. Uh, And, you know, I, I think this underscores how I feel about the entire franchise that I want it to grow and I want it to change. And I don't want Luke Skywalker to live in a vacuum of being this person who cannot do something immoral or accidentally do something wrong. I have a lot of feelings, but I'll turn it over to someone else. So uh, I think you paint a very realistic depiction of a person who is asking themselves this question. But since it does contradict a previous incarnation that we've already seen, is it okay to get from point A to point B without any explanation, Alexandra? Like, what's the big contradiction? What are, what are you So we have this? someone who is willing to self-sacrifice, oh, okay. go to the Death Star, save Darth Vader because he felt there was some good in him, and yet he's immediately willing down to slay a child who is basically all the exact same properties but couldn't have been as far gone as Darth Vader. So why do is, is it okay that, yes, I think it's believable to have a person who, who thinks the way you presented, but since we don't have the uh, transition of that character, is it okay for a movie that jumps in time to say this person went through things to make him into this character? Hmm. That's the question. Sure, yeah. Um, so I... I personally didn't really have any problems with that characterization of Luke. Do I think that Luke messed up in that instance? Of course I do. I think that was him acting from a piece of himself that was impulsive and stupid. Like he was going to do something that was based on this pure instinct that was heinous and wrong. 
And because he thought he knew so much about the Jedi and the and the dark side of the Force that he, Luke Skywalker, and I think he does say this in the text of the film, that he kept on repeating this phrase of like, because Luke Skywalker thinks something or does something. He like, he keeps this whole concept of does this self-identified master of the force does he think that then he can control this new aspect i think that also came from a from a place of almost innocence too because you have this this very innocent young man he's had a very sheltered life and he's thrust into this intergalactic space battle between good and evil and he's just trying to figure out who he is and who he's about and so but now you have a person a very different part of their life you know late later middle age where he he himself feels like he's imparting upon wisdom onto other people and so on this particular topic i think it's more of like a taste preference um mark hamill didn't agree with his characterization i respect that as an actor and a man who's studied this character for a very long time more than i've been alive uh but uh, me as a a cinema watcher and person who enjoys film i really enjoyed this particular journey of this specific character i know that despite you know people that identify as jedis having superpowers of some extent we're all fallible and we're all human all right vinton so we have laid out for you that luke is willing to kill children and then run away is this your luke <laughs> oh wow <laughs> oh you put it like that caleb <laughs> well it is a skywalker tradition <laughs> very fair oh, very fair bam skywalker hey uh, uh, no, I kid. I, I, I threw that out there in jest. How do you feel about this portrayal of Luke? And do you feel it's okay to assume that difference between Luke Skywalker A and Luke Skywalker B happens? We don't need to see it. It's just, it's just a thing that storytellers shortcut. Uh, I think that Luke in the original trilogy comes from a place of idealistic, naive youth. He knows nothing about the Force. He's thrust into this adventure. He's just a farm boy that wants to go on an adventure. And I think that he, he learned some on that adventure, but there's obviously going to be a lot more learning in the years between. But I think you do make a good point. It's like, should the film tell us these things or should we go in just accepting whatever the film tells me I'm going to believe that it's true and it got there for a reason and that's always a fine line to walk how much can the film uh, actually get across without slowing everything down how much of the backstory can they give you and how much of it should you just go in willing to buy what they're trying to sell going in with a willing spirit because I think a lot of people do go in the movies just having so much of their own opinions that they're not willing to listen to what the story is trying to tell them but on the other hand the film should tell you certain things and get things across without expecting you to have to do tons of research or fix a ton of things for them. They shouldn't put that burden on the watcher. But for me, it just really falls down to the age things. Ch things change with age. I think the family dynamic is a, is a great look the son, the father, how things change that way. I think that, you know, the Jedi has always been deceitful and to me. They've always been manipulative and controlling in a lot of ways. So I, I've always been more of a gray Jedi myself because I just don't see how either one of them is that great and I think when Luke learns about the Jedi I think he does touch on this in the film when the more he learns about the Jedi the more he is disenchanted and the more he's you know more of his father and himself and he's like what what am I going to do and then he sees what could be this great destructive power maybe even more than Vader to the point where he's like there's no saving us I have to do something and he makes that mistake all right. So we have expanded on this question. I want to give you a final opportunity, Masters, to take all of this question in as a whole and, and sum that up for us. Well, I do want to add one more thing, which is to say I think this 
Luke's journey very much fits in with the theme, and I think it's aligned. I think that for me personally, I think the idea that Luke Skywalker, this guy who was thrust into this universe of the Force, he didn't understand. He had to self-teach himself. Imagine he had he had Yoda and he had Obi Wan right. both died in the trilogy, yes. so he had to do a lot of self-studying and a lot of discovery of the books. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things he had to learn on his own, and he is fallible and he's a human. And I think in shifting in his role, he 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 developed. Both he developed an ego, and he also has a weird connect. He doesn't know how to handle his relationship with his nephew, and he even talks about how he feels so heartbroken how he betrayed Leia uh, for misplacing her son. Like it clearly was something he took seriously, but didn't know how to handle, uh, and he maybe he wasn't ready for it. So ultimately, at the end of the day, I think that you do have to read into it a little bit. But I think it's it, as humans, all of us from this table, humans, understanding that over ten or twenty or thirty years, we change as who we are and what we think about things. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to accept that that Luke was not the same, exactly the same person as he was uh, at the end of Return of the Jedi because he had to learn so much more about the Jedi. Uh, and one thing I want to add that I think makes his his point in this film so important is it really underscores the theme that I, I personally connect with and think is so valuable, which is whenever you're trying to create something new, sometimes you have to burn down the old thing. He realized the Jedi screwed up majorly. But he also, at the end of the day, kept the books and he still kept all these lessons. And even when he has that conversation with Yoda, he's not saying we need to destroy it all. Like that, that he comes to this realization that that the Force is important, but also like maybe it wasn't what we thought it was. And maybe the only way Ray's going to understand of this is if we just let the old ways die. And maybe it's up to we'll give her the books, we'll give her the information she needs. I told her everything I can, but at the end of the day, she's got to let Skywalker go. She's got to let Han Solo go, um, so that she can create a new version of the Force. As Luke says it's not all Sith and Jedi it's not light side dark side and I think one thing this film does really well is it breaks down those binaries and really looks and says hey everybody is fallible everyone makes good decisions and everyone makes bad decisions Kylo Ren is a very human character who does a lot of terrible things but at the end of the day there's good in him just like with Rey there's a dark side within her so uh, at the end of the day I think Luke's journey really underscores a lot of those themes that are valuable and I don't think it ever betrays his character in the process yeah so one thing I did want to bring up and forgive me if i'm totally uh taking the steering wheel for a second but i did want to bring up the jedi texts and how we get um i'm sure we're going to talk later about some yoda force lightning ghost stuff uh but uh for specifically for the jedi texts themselves my one of my bigger problems on the rewatch personally was the idea that Luke goes to the tree. He's like, I'm going to set this tree on fire. Yoda's like, no, I will set it on fire. And they're like, yes, let's watch the old ways die. Because that's a theme is like, we're regrowing new things. Yeah. I'm actually going to cut you off. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go for it. If you want to move to that. We're going to move to that right now. Cool. So I am going to present this question and we're going to go right back to you. Okay, cool. Yeah, you got it. um, Yeah. Yoda uses lightning and to me this uh this is universe shattering this this changes so much because now to me i feel like force ghosts are really the only thing that matter uh if if we go ahead and send ray off to 
to fight Kylo, that's irresponsible because the Force Ghosts will just wear him down. They will eventually win. They're invulnerable and they can cast lightning. You can't always stop that. He's going to have to sleep some time, right? So we, we, we debase all things down to Force Ghosts change the complex of things. Uh, and for such a throwaway scene, for such a scene that is you know, a, a parable of showing that there's a journey and you need to, to, to get rid of the past and to do this, we could have had this done all through dialogue and we've had this done through dialogue. This is this would have been a trope that we are actually referencing. Instead, we we want to put a twist on this trope that actually changes so much and, and it really discouraged me. First, my acknowledgement of the Force Ghost thing, the first thing I thought of was you expanding on that is kind of like the logical conclusion of what we experience in modern day war with like drone warfare, which I find that's kind of like an interesting parallel, but I never thought of before the second in time. Like, it sounds kind of ridiculous to be like, yeah, let's have all of our battles fall with force ghosts. At the same time, it's like, I feel like, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we could have been saying the same thing about like modern warfare. So I do want to talk about that because like, Hearing you explain it that way, I'm like, hmm, maybe that's not quite as ridiculous as a question as I might have uh, originally thought of. Uh, but my big kicker, because, you know, I A, I really enjoyed that scene. That was one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. Sorry, Caleb. Uh, <laughs> Caleb H. Um, yeah. But mostly that was because of the character dynamics between Luke and Yoda and how Yoda was a freaking puppet. It was that it, it was that hard to get Yoda to be a, a puppet. And just that itself was incredible to me. We, we've talked a lot about how Mark Hamill didn't agree with his characterization of uh, Luke Skywalker in this film. And I do think it was interesting. As soon as Yoda gets on the scene, we get into the same master pupil dynamic. Like, like it, it felt like the middle of Empire for me. Yeah. And I love that part. And I think that was a nice little piece of contrast to show us that even though Luke is this like hard ass, grizzled old man who's seen too many things, like get Yoda and get someone that has had superiority and seen him at his weakest points. Um, he gets back into that training mode. It's just back to that kind of father son dynamic. As soon as you're around your dad if you're like a 50 year old man you are a kid again like in your parents house so anyway i really like that uh but my big beef with this sequence was the fact that we have the tree yoda you know force lightning aside force ghost aside he zaps the tree but he knows the books are gone because ray's got him on the falcon and so in my like one of my biggest problems with that doesn't that kind of subvert the theme of passing the torch because it's like the texts are inside her and luke is like that is true and but yet she has taken the texts i felt that was just some weird storytelling because it's like we want to have our cake and eat it too we want to say yes have the old ways die but disney's like oh but jedi sells shit if we put jedi shit like in target it sells toys and stuff so it's like to me it's like trying to like sell have it both ways and, and that made me really sad it's like okay if we're gonna commit to like having a whole group of a whole philosophical religion die let's just fucking actually kill it you know like and that like that irritated me and i don't know if you guys like felt the same way Benton, <laughs> did you feel the same way <laughs> actually i didn't <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. No, I, I'd yeah. love to hear. I'd uh, hear, love I mean, to hear why. I mean, I don't necessarily fully disagree with that. I think yeah. it's a good point. But for me, it was really cool when I saw the books, and I was like, "Oh, they're still there!" And I was like, "Yo, they didn't mean they were within her. They meant they were with her." Because he, <laughs> oh, said, he said, "You it's troll!" With her. So I was just, I like that he. That's Yoda. That's always been Yoda. That's always Yoda, Yoda. has always been like, "I'm going to trick and manipulate you because I'm a funny old man." And <laughs> <laughs> you troll. <laughs> just mark Guys, it down to Yoda being a troll. <laughs> Yoda works. A mysterious he is ways. kind of a troll. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all you have to know is Yoda works in mysterious ways. That's how he uses force lightning. That's how he only shows up sometimes. He's not going to show up and fight all the wars. He's not going to do basically anything that helps anyone. He's just going to be a wisecracking old man. But for me, I really like the idea that we're going to keep the Jedi books. I, I like that we're not going to discard all that because it is so important to me. The world building has always been one of the biggest things and I want to know more, And especially since we've gotten rid of all of the um, extra, like the novels and everything that when Disney bought that we have have so much of a rich vein to explore once again and see how they want to uh, tap into that. I'm glad that we're not getting rid of that, but we're going to dive a little bit further into it maybe or see where it goes from here. Uh, and as far as the force lightning thing, that has a lot of implications. I just didn't even put thought into <laughs> I, the, the force ghosts have always been weird to me because it's like, why don't they just always show up and tell people what they need when they need it? Like it's always seemed really unnecessary. And I'm like, why is this a thing? I think the ghosts since the beginning have just bothered me. <laughs> So, Masters, uh, Vinton saying that Yoda doesn't always show up, ergo he's evil. Do you agree with that? <laughs> I'm going to say the statement of what I believe. Do you agree or disagree? I love Yoda. Hold Yoda on. Is not you, are you smart or are you stupid? Agree or disagree? <laughs> I think you're dumb or stupid. Agree or disagree? Um... So I don't think Yoda is evil. I think he's a troll, but I think he's a troll with a good heart. And I, I will just lay the sentiment out. So in college, I was a very sheltered child who was very stubborn about a lot of things. And you want to know what the fuck snapped me out of it? People trolling me, but people who cared about me and wanted to show me how kind of up my 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 uh, ass, my head was. Uh, and I hated it at the time, and it was painful and awful, and I didn't like it, but I appreciated it. Yoda does that to Luke on the regular in these movies. Now, um, God, I've got a lot to say about the scene. Um, I've got a lot to say about the scene. Can I say just a quick comment, sure. which yeah. is, that to me, I love Yoda because to me, he's Mr. Miyagi. He's yes. doing something that doesn't make sense to the character to get them somewhere. And I yes. think here in this, he's trying to get Luke to do something. So what he's saying is just for Luke. It's not for us. It's not even necessarily the truth. He's trying to get Luke to somewhere. Yes. He's smart. He knows what he's bingo. doing. Bingo. Man, Benton, I could say bingo all night with you, man. You're on, <laughs> you're on it. Because this is a moment for Luke specifically. Now, before I get into that, uh, I'm just going to go off the table. I'm going to be... Oh, horribly biased towards the scene. I, I mean, I get a lot of feels. I got a lot of feels in The Force Awakens. It was emotional. I enjoyed it. I appreciated the callbacks. This one, I got way more feels. I was shocked. I, I laughed. I cried. I inexplicably, whenever Luke and whenever Yoda showed up and it was like back to Empire and it was like him schooling Luke again, like just like Alexandra was saying, like we were like, oh, Luke has seen all this stuff and he's done all this stuff and he's still just a kid. Like, like Yoda showing up and showing that he was still just not quite there yet, you know, and like there were still lessons to learn. Like I inexplicably like I didn't like tears just came down my face I couldn't explain it I just was the most emotional I was this entire movie I didn't even know it was something I really wanted to see that badly Same. like or it, I, deep down, I didn't know that I, you'd said oh this is gonna make you cry or I said oh it'd be cool but I don't think it'll make me cry I was like just trying really hard not to bawl 
And I don't know what it was, but it was something really special about the magic of this moment that really connected with me on a really deeply emotional level. So I'm going to be biased towards the scene. Um, secondly, Venn also hit on the fact that Force ghosts in Star Wars are kind of inexplicable. Uh, they are kind of a mystery. And this is, again, where I mentioned it at the top of the podcast with the bombs. We get into this really ambiguous territory of Force uh, of space sci-fi and space fantasy i tend to have always categorized uh star especially as i've gotten really into sci-fi uh i've always viewed i've viewed star wars as a space fantasy whereas in where you have things that come along that fulfill a very specific point for the plot or the characters generally for the characters and when it comes to doing it for the characters i'll buy it because ultimately this is the again my my first at the top of the podcast ranking most important thing character arcs what is going to get them there well his old master yoda is going to come and teach him one last lesson that shows he's not done learning and then he still has something left to live for and 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 ultimately that failure is the greatest teacher and that yes even even the most powerful important jedi in the entire history of the galaxy uh luke skywalker screwed up and he can still learn from that. He's not done. He doesn't have to seclude himself forever. Uh, but he should learn from his seclusion and learn from the mistake he carried out with Kylo Ren. And, you know, it was funny. Even Yoda's like, you didn't listen to me, man. I said pass on what you've learned. I told you point blank and you do it. Okay, so bias aside, just throwing that out there. Um, I am okay with Force Ghost, Ghost doing whatever because that's they, there's there's never been any cl- cl- uh, clear rules in the in the context of the films at least what they can and can't do they just show up they are there to, always there to fulfill a certain plot or character arc I think that's fine I think that's how they worked uh, in uh, Empire Strikes Back it was a nice nod to Obi Wan showing up in the Return of the Jedi we get Obi Wan showing up telling us loads of exposition about him and Darth Vader I think it's fine uh, I think it's a, a beautiful moving scene. Um, here's one thing I will disagree with Alexandra on with when it comes to the books. We get do we do we study history books in school? Do we learn from them? There has to be something of the Jedi that is passed along. And the movie is not ultimately saying completely forget what you learned. It is learning to tear down what you learn, deconstructing it, and figuring out what you want to take with you. And for her to do that, she needs those books. And that doesn't mean that these books are these sacred texts. It means these these are books she can have resources to pull from because at this point in time, she really doesn't know much about the Jedi Order. Luke himself did not know that much about the Jedi Order. She knows even less. So I think these books as a resource is fine. It's not like she's going to have to adhere to them like they're a religion. It's more for her to learn what the Jedi thought about things and how their philosophy and how the Force, their philosophy and how the Force works. And, it, and she can decide. That is up for her to decide in the next movie. And that is where we pass the baton. This is the middle chapter. We don't know if... This movie, if if her having the books really takes away from the, the from the theme, I don't think it does. Um, it'll be up to see what happens in that third film from J.J. Abrams to to figure that out. This might be me seeing a theme that's not there or something like I mentioned at the top of the podcast. I don't think that the movie's theme is to tear down the past. I think the movie's theme is to build off the past because to me, the hopeful side of it, the Rebel Alliance side of it is that they're building off something. They're rebuilding that mythology. They're taking the text so that they can build something new out of it and change what did fail about the Jedi's where it's Kylo that wants to destroy the past. But we know he's wrong about that. He killed Han and we're all like, what the hell, dude? Don't kill Han because he wants to destroy the past. But we're not agreeing with that. I think what we want is to build off of it to pass the baton 
properly that Luke was supposed to teach Ray. Yeah, and I don't want to. Then thank you for rearticulating that because I don't want to. I, I want to make it clear. I don't think it is the movie is saying erase the past or burn it down. I'm saying what it does is sometimes to rebuild something, you have to first tear it down and figure out what it is that means the most to you or works. Yeah, I was. Totally uh, and, with and, that and, point. and then build something new for for again legacy. Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting way to put that. It also feels like it's that's directly competing with the thought of anyone can be the next generation of Jedi. So there's a dichotomy we have to now rationalize because this film presents that. But I don't think that that's necessarily incongruous to the story. I just feel that that is something that is maybe a problem for nine. Yeah, I actually really agree with that because it's like it's weird because I agree with you guys in terms of like, okay, so... Tear, tear down our conceptions of what Jedis are or, or whatever. Well, I mean, if you want to get meta, Ryan Johnson's tearing down our notion of what Star Wars is and trying sure. to build, rebuild it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess that. Um, but like whatever Yoda and Luke felt like they were accomplishing by burning down this, this sim- well, for Yoda, symbol, for Luke, a literal uh, effigy of the re- Jedi religion. So tearing that down, but then also saying, like, it, it's weird, it's, it's trying to say two messages, which is what I was getting in my little piece, which was, it's saying, yes, let's do that. But it's also saying, anyone can be a Jedi. Right. And, it, and it's like, we are gatekeepers, but we're not. Anyone could be a Jedi, but we can't. Yeah, like it's it's weird. Like, and it's like maybe it's the whole idea that the concept, like you, Luke says in the trailer, it's time for the Jedi. He says Jedi, not Force, because right. Force doesn't equal Jedi. It's time for the Jedi to end the the philosophical concepts of applying the Force. So maybe it's more of that and less about the application of the force maybe the force as we move forward now becomes it's a new religion that isn't jedi at all but any but that's weird that ray keeps the text to me if we're saying let's put that to rest Let's let We're not putting force, the force rest. Right. Let's let the force evolve on its path, but then let's guide it with the Jedi text. It's uh, like having the, a cake yes, and eating it. Yeah, the, yeah, that's my thing. In my idea, it, it, like the way I've been thinking about this, it's it's like saying, because I grew up in a, sorry, we're going to go in the weeds. I grew up in a sect of pro- Protestantism that was like, there is no inherent value in this Bible. There's no inherent value in this church building. There's no inherent value in these books, any of this shit. It's all when our people come together and we're doing our church thing and we're worshiping. So, and, so in that situation, that's how I thought Yoda was thinking about these specific texts. There's no inherent value in this book of teaching. It is mere it is merely a vehicle in which to convey how to use the ideas. So it's like whenever so we don't need this specific book because it means nothing. It is purely a system of teachings that helps people understand this value of life and philosophy that's within them. So it's in this spirit in this in this self inside of them. So Uh, That's where my thing comes in. It's because it's saying we don't need these books, which are propped up almost to be deified. The Jedi were deified. So it's like, we don't need this shit. But yet at the end of the day, Ray saves these touchstones, which 
goes back to that kind of, like to me it's like the israelites in the old testament they just couldn't give up their idols you know whenever moses was too long coming off the mount sinai and shit like that so it's like so it's so that's my that's how i'm applying all of this jedi text stuff in the tree um Alex, <laughs> i am so glad you brought this up uh so two things i'm gonna do one by uh articulating the fact that i am such a diehard ryan johnson fan but one of the reasons i love him is because he become he comes from an especially religious family um one of the reasons i've connected with him as an individual uh via podcast which I, this is one of the reasons i love podcasts so much you can connect with people you wouldn't normally meet uh, Ryan Johnson did grow up in a very devout religious home, and that is something he has struggled with as a storyteller and a human. Um, personally, I think that you raise a really great point, and this is where it gets very – you have to ask yourself the personal question. And I do want to get back to the to, to how do we rationalize this with everyone could be yeah. a hero or everyone could be a Jedi. Everyone has the force within. Everyone has the force within. Um I think inherently that taking the force text is a is a resource in order to reference back to and learn things from is actually a really smart thing to do in the same way that I think that the Bible, which I agree with you 125 million percent that is deified and held up to this ridiculous standard is and in some some groups is even considered inerrant, which I find baffling. I, I, I think that using that as an analog for the sacred Jedi text is actually a great comparison. But I also think as a person, uh, and this again speaks to every individual myself, I would say it's good to have that around because it is very important. These beliefs come from somewhere and it's not out of thin air and to have a text in which we have these, that we can retell these stories and retell these life lessons and retell these values, have that around is important. I don't think we have to burn that. I don't think that has to go away because it's very, it's a touchstone and touchstones. You just have to put into some context to what exactly what they are and what they mean. This is a personal philosophy. I did not foresee this conversation. Going <laughs> Me <straight>. neither. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it though. It's great. And I, I agreed. Um, so that's kind of where I stand on, on, I think it's for me, it makes sense that she kept the books. Yeah. How do we rationalize that with everyone can be a Jedi? Well, someone's going to have to lead the next generation of force sensitive children. And she happens to have a resource. They do not. And she also has a sense of duty that they do not because it just ha- the force happened to awaken in her first. So this does ultimately revert into a weird either either totally consequential thing or the narrative of someone was chosen, whichever again, God, this gets so theological very quickly, that <laughs> she happens to be the person who has this information, who was awakened earlier than some of these other children. And I think at the end of the day, whenever you're trying to revitalize something, it does take leaders and it does take people to do that. So at the end of the day, I think she's the person who um air quotes either called slash destined to do that or third option she decides to do that because she feels like it's the right thing to do but ultimately the fact that she has that and they do not is very important all right well that may have been the heaviest note to end on and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> again i had no, I had not yeah. she was taking that note that yeah do you have a lighter note to end on vinton uh no, i can do a little bit of the commentary on that i mean I could do like 12 podcasts on the theological <laughs> yes. things. I mean, I, I 
to be just completely open, the Bible is one of my favorite things. I went to college for studying the Bible because I love the Bible. Uh, so I could talk a lot about that, but I'll, just to stick with the movie for the most part, I think that while it might be missing a theme for her to keep the books for this movie, I think it would miss a larger theme for her not to of the whole Star Wars mm, universe and trilogy. Point. I think it would just be like, hey, you know what, Jedi thing, let's just erase it and continue with Star Wars. Mm. That would be weird and it just wouldn't feel right. And I feel like the her keeping the books is setting up an opportunity for the next filmmaker to do something really awesome that they could drop the ball in, but I would hope that they would come up with some really good reasons, some really good things moving on from there. And I think to me, her leaving behind all that, just destroying all that would be just like, hey, you know that Force thing? Well, we now know nothing about it again, so hopefully we can get it right this time and not just recreate the Jedi not knowing what the Jedi was and just end up in the same place again and just restart time right. over. If we have the text, we can then try to do something differently knowing how it was done before. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? We have it documented and we get to decide. Right. And so uh, that's the thing. That's the cool thing about Star Wars. Here's a great note to end on. The cool thing about Star Wars is that how much it, it parallels real life and gives gives a good analogy and and a good method in which to dissect our real world situations. It's easier to talk about a fictional religion with really cool mystical powers and neat saber swords than it is to talk about like modern day religious institutions and their place in society. It's a great analog to talk about our real world and help us understand. And that's one great thing about fiction. And everything about our real world from religion to politics. Exactly. To, you know, current socioeconomics. Right. Star Wars means so much to so many people. And, and a lot of what this means is going to depend on their personal journeys in their life. And when they encountered Star Wars and when they grew up with Star Wars, I think the prequels are actually not dog shit. Uh, they're problematic and they have they're not great, but I mean, I saw it when I was a kid though. In the same way a lot of people saw the original trilogy when they were kids. Ryan Johnson was four years old when he saw it. Uh it means a lot of different things. And I think what is beautiful about The Last Jedi at the end of the day, I, I right I, I'm gonna eat my words. The passion and fire that exists with fans on either side of hating or liking it still exists, and it clearly shows that film uh, ha and the, the pop culture thing that Star Wars has become is really important to the world we live in today. It tells us a lot more about ourselves than it tells us about the fiction. And also, um, I love that so many people can have so many different viewpoints on Star Wars. I mean, God, they, I didn't even consider the religious analog there. So, great stuff. Yeah, and this conversation doesn't have to end. Uh, if you want to continue this, follow us on cinematropolis.com, where the comment section is going to be open to all sorts of debate. Um, I'll be there. Caleb Masters will be there. I'm sure we'll see Alexandra and Vinton. This is a great conversation. It can go much further. Let's continue it there. But for now, we're going to have to sign off. So, Alexandra, where do people find you? Sure. You can find me at Alex V. Brohannon. That's B-R-O-H-A-N-N-O-N. It's a bromanto uh, of my last name. So uh, you can find me there on Instagram and on Twitter uh, where I will tweet funny things sometimes, sad things sometimes, and articles I read uh, my write sometimes. So there you go. Vinton, where can they finish this conversation with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter almost all the time talking about comic books, but I would also love to talk about Star Wars. I am at Flesh Eater, like the zombie. I'm also on Instagram, but I don't really talk there. I just post <laughs> photos, so I don't know if you want to get on there and talk with me. Uh, I would like to say, though, if you get on there to talk to me about this movie, don't try to convince me to hate it because I do love it. Let people love what they love, and if you don't like it, I'm not going to convince you to like it. 
Caleb Masters, where do they find you? Yeah, well, you can always find me uh, on Twitter uh, at C Masters Talk. That's the letter C Masters Talk. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at C Masters 91. Of course, the cinematropolis.com uh, is now kind of my home base where I do all my re- uh, movie reviews. And I always try to add, outside of movie reviews, I always try to uh, add uh, a really specific analysis to our review essays uh, and all sorts of other cool things. And if you want to get my really quick hot, if, if you want to find my hottest hot takes, hot takes, hot takes, hot takes from Caleb that, Masters, that's the hot word these days. Uh, letterbox <laughs> at C Masters 91. Yeah. And you can of course hear us on the cinematic schematic where I talk about film scores and Caleb talks about lots of other things with lots of other people. Uh, yeah. The cinematic schematic, uh, this is going to be in our cinematic schematic speed, but uh, you can find that as a monthly show where we occasionally drop bonus episodes. So once a month, usually at the end of the month, uh, we drop a monthly show encompassing our monthly themes at thecinematropolis.com. And I am Caleb Haldane. You can find me at Caleb Haldane, which is C-A-L-E-B-H-A-L-D-A-N-E on Twitter. And, you know, uh, go ahead, hit us up on cinematropolis.com. I urge you to do so. I'm going to make Caleb Masters put all of our names in the show notes as long as all of our Twitter handles. So find us there and continue this conversation. Thank you and goodbye. I only know one truth. This special episode of the Cinematic Schematic featuring the first edition of Cinema Showdown was hosted and produced by Caleb Haldane from the Red Six to Golden Corral podcast. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to the Cinematic Schematic, Red Six to Golden Corral, and the Excelsior podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any podcast app of your choice to hear more from today's panel. Mm